0: Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> right. You're listening. Oh. You're,
1: You're listening, listening to... <laughs> You're finished, you listening? listening to... Discourse. 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 From NPR. NPR. American
0: Public Radio.
1: Since early March, as Americans settle down to watch nightly newscasts, they've been hit with an onslaught of numbers. Cases. Deaths ventilators needed, masks being shipped to hospitals, clinical trials being rushed in an attempt, any attempt, to find a vaccine before even more lives are put in danger. The entire show is choked with coronavirus-related information, usually heavy material to draw awareness to those who need help, videos from inside hospitals, the latest reports from overseas, how much longer we're going to be spending time socially distant. It isn't pretty, but that's the point during my almost obsessive watching of these newscasts i started to notice that some of the stories weren't all doom and gloom journalists have begun telling us the good news heartfelt stories of families standing outside nursing homes or driving around neighborhoods to wish their loved ones a happy birthday signs that have popped up across the country thanking the essential workers who put their lives on the line for others the joy that still exists the normalcy or as close to it as we can get. These are the pieces that got me thinking. We see these stories of a standard day for medical professionals. We see the out of the ordinary steps family members take in order to see their loved ones for as much or as little as they can. We know what education has begun to look like for students who won't get the chance to walk back through the halls of their schools until the fall. But what does a day in quarantine really look like? What do the average citizens who are now working from home do instead of their daily routines? We've spent years perfecting just what we do each day. The order of how we get ready in the morning, the commute, work, school. What happens when all of that changes? I decided to set out to find just what those days look like since our lives became uprooted. Hello. Hi, Emma. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. That's my aunt, Jean Blazina. She lives in an apartment on the Upper East Side of New York, spending her days in one of the largest epicenters of COVID-19 in the world. Her days are quite different from my grandmother's, who lives in Melrose, Massachusetts, 20 minutes outside of Boston. Their lives are already vastly different on a daily basis based purely on their geographic locations. Now, I believed it would be like two different planets. So I asked my aunt, what's it like in New York City at a time like this, in a city that's usually so alive, that's now kind of on the quieter side? Yeah. Um, Well, it's changed over
0: time. So when this first started coming out, I don't think people were as concerned about it. I know I wasn't so, so concerned. I was concerned, but not, not to the level that we all are now.
1: She went on to talk about how a lot of people didn't entirely know what social distancing was or how to do it correctly when the measures were first put into place. In such a densely populated setting like Manhattan, it's difficult to completely avoid everyone. She talked about how she stays active, how she tries to squeeze a walk-in for her daily exercise. However, trying to go out and buy groceries during the week can be a challenge. I'll let her tell it.
0: It's weird now. Like I find myself when I need to go to the grocery store, I'll take, you know, I'll take a walk and I'll go and I'll say, I'll look in. And if I think there's too many people, I won't go to that grocery store. So I'll go to a different grocery store. It's finding new ways of staying safe and staying, you know, keeping other people safe from myself in case I have it, which, you know, I don't have any symptoms, but you just don't know.
1: While it's easy to see people out windows or passing them on the street while living in an apartment in the city, living in a house in the suburbs is quite different. I asked my grandmother, Marsha,
2: what her community has looked like in the past few weeks. The first thing I notice every day when I go out to get the paper is how absolutely quiet it is. I try to get out for a walk every day. Um, I see lots of families parents with young children on scooters and bikes, and we all managed to socially distance ourselves at a safe distance. Mm -hmm. Um, I have not been into town yet to shop, but I'm going to have to make a trip to the grocery store today. I have no idea what I'll find when I get to the store, but um, I'm gonna venture out anyway.
1: My grandmother lives only a few streets over from an elementary school neighbors have slowly grown younger and younger as new families have moved to the suburbs in the warm spring weather the streets are usually filled with little kids riding bikes and laughing together there is always the presence of childhood joy and even now it doesn't seem too dampened for some of them
2: the one thing that excites them is when a a family will walk up the street with a dog and they all run to the dog they love to pet the dogs
1: (laughs) it's easy to imagine a street just like it The modest homes with yards littered with children's toys, sidewalks covered in chalk, trampolines filled with bouncing elementary schoolers, homework being completed in a rush to get outside before the sun disappears. At least, on a normal day. These kids seem to be having a difficult time comprehending what exactly is happening around them. They're still young. Parents are trying to keep them from the horrors of the world around them. They can't entirely understand, But they do know that something is wrong it can trigger anyone to snap but for a child who doesn't entirely get it it triggers something even deeper
2: i've heard from friends um they're they're very concerned they've had meltdowns because they they sense the the tension and the concern of their family members and they're apt to um have a meltdown with very little provocation and just dissolve in a puddle of tears and then there are the younger kids that the two-year-olds and three-year-olds, of whom there are several in the neighborhood, and they are totally unaware of what's going on. I think they're just curious as to why mom and dad are around so much more. How do you explain
1: to a three-, four-, or five-year-old that they can't go to the park in the warm weather? How do working parents now handle their children wandering into rooms while they're on conference calls? How different do these kids' lives look, and how do they handle it with a brain that is far from fully developed? How can we expect kids to handle it if their elders aren't doing a great job understanding it either? Teens, especially, appear to be struggling a bit more than anyone else. We no longer have our same schedules. Morning commutes are gone after school activities canceled. Workplaces have been shuttered, and the actual schools are shut until the fall. The strict schedules we've followed for years, they're gone. While some of us do have school and work that we can focus on during the day, My grandmother has retired over the last few years, and I wondered what it was like to not have to turn anything in on a deadline. What does she do to occupy herself during the day? So I asked her to go through one with me. The way she describes it, it could be taken as any other day of the year.
2: I've got all kinds of little projects that I've started. I've started organizing my recipes in one room, and I've started sorting through some photographs in another room, Oh my! and I have some books that I'm sorting through in yet another room Mm -hmm. and I do um, some online uh, solitaire games or I go to another room and read my book, do some laundry, go for a walk, talk on the phone to friends, check in, make sure everyone's doing well and that's, that's pretty much it until the nightly news comes on so I can get ramped up for more disappointing sad news about the state of affairs. Everything
1: has its set place. Whatever strikes her fancy at a certain time, she'll pick up and work on next. She gets to pick her own schedule and her own activities. It doesn't seem out of the ordinary. It could be any other day of the year. Except it's not just one day. It's every day. And whatever's inside the house is all she's got. Her life is upside down. But at the same time, it appears as if it isn't at all. Life in Melrose seems almost standard, especially when compared back to New York City. The one image I can't get out of my mind is from when my aunt mentioned driving my uncle to work when he has to go in, ensuring that he does not have to take the subways. Her description of the city just didn't sit well with me.
0: We drive down Park Avenue and like one of only maybe another car or two cars the whole way down. We go straight from 91st Street to 54th Street and don't hit any lights.
1: Park is one of the busier avenues in the city. The thought of driving down it without hitting a single light or running into any other car is borderline absurd. Yet it's still what happens every day. Deserted or closed streets, cars left to sit unused for stretches of time. Sidewalks are getting a lot more use as more and more people begin to walk. Car horns have gone silent. There's nothing to beep at with no one on the road to cut you off. The pictures from the city are almost apocalyptic. It doesn't look real without the masses of tourists choking Times Square. The famous billboards are still lit up, but no one's gawking at them while New Yorkers try to push past them to get to work. Broadway is shuttered. Restaurants are closed for seating. The things that make New York the most famous city in the world. The attractions that draw millions every year are closed for business, and the tourists are nowhere to be found. The city that never sleeps seems to be taking a nap. Nevertheless, some still try to make it just another spring in the city. My aunt and uncle went out to the park near their apartment over one of the nicer weekends in March. What they saw was almost normal. In a time where everything else is abnormal. That Saturday, we
0: saw a birthday party in the park with a lot of young children, I would say five-ish or younger, at a birthday party in the park, Um, and I guess... You know, maybe they thought it was okay because they were outside, but these mm-hmm. kids were on top of each other. You know, they were way yeah, too they're, they're five-year-olds. They don't know. I didn't engage with that group <laughs> other than to say to Uncle John, oh, my God, I hope that they know what they're doing, and I hope that they'll all
1: be okay. There was still joy, still a party in the park on a nice spring day. My only concern now, months after this party, What were its repercussions? What happened to those families once they got home? Were they added to the case numbers that rose exponentially? Did they buy a house in the suburbs and flee when schools were officially shut for the year? Do parents still take their kids to the park on the weekends? Did everything change after just another Saturday in the park? There are some things that have popped up in response to this new seclusion. Ways to remind many that there are still millions of people trapped in one of the largest petri dishes in the country. Every night at 7 o'clock, people open their windows or go out onto their balconies or find some way to be outside in order to clap and cheer for the essential workers. Whistles are blown. People shout from rooftops, clapping and playing music and reminding each other that they're still there.
0: When they started up at seven PM, everybody go out their windows or on their rooftops mm-hmm. or whatever and clap for, you know, the essential workers who are mm-hmm. out there. That sort of built a little bit of community with, you know, I see the people across the way, across my window, and um not only do we are we clapping for for them, but we're acknowledging each other's presence, which um is kinda nice when you feel so isolated from
2: everyone.
1: this little action opening up a window and clapping hands together has become a rallying cry for new yorkers still in the city it's inspiring it's a community effort but most importantly it's hope that the world will be righted once more because for better or worse we're still here There are also the little things that we can do to keep in touch with those not in our homes. Zoom calls and Disney sing-alongs and TV graduations with the former president of the United States giving the commencement address, or as close to it as we're gonna get. We do what we can to keep in touch. We do what we have to to remind ourselves that things will be better again.
0: I do try and go out for a walk. And on those walks, I call a friend because the lack of connection with people is very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's important to communicate in whatever ways we use, text or, you know. But I think calling someone also um, has had a positive effect for me and hopefully for them as well.
1: In the years to come, we will remember what it was like before. For now, there always will be that schism of time, our lives before COVID, and our lives after. There will be things that are gone. The ease of walking into a public space without a mask on will not be plausible for a long while yet. Schools are going to be vastly different when students are finally allowed back on campus. Summer is going to be spent without normal traditions. A night on the town isn't going to be what it once was we are forced to think about what comes next? Where do we go from here? What is the
0: next step? One of them is trying to vision what my purpose looks like without physical and close proximity interactions. How can I still help some of the people that I used to help before that I couldn't do now? There's life events that are really important. So we have to figure out how to work through those life events in other ways so that we don't feel like we're missing out on on them as much and i don't know all the answers but i'm trying to figure the figure one by one how do we keep some of these things that are so precious when most importantly keeping the life precious to us
1: it's easy to get lost in this tumult of stories it's easy for me to sit here and think that i shouldn't complain that there are so many things that I'm grateful for in a time as rough as this, that being upset about missing out on prom or another dance performance or graduation seems trivial. And it probably is, for there will be performances again, and there will be other nights with my friends. However, these are some of the life events that were important. They were things that I've been looking forward to for years, and I'm not the only one. There are millions who are missing out on so many life moments that we've been promised from the beginning. The movies were never about the graduations that were cancelled, or the nights that never happened. They'd be boring if they were, but that's just how life goes. It's never like the movies, and it's never the way we plan it. That's what makes it life. We face adversity. We take the challenges head-on and try to find a way to fix the problems that are thrown at us. It's how we keep moving forward. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's what makes us human. And in the end, it'll be what gets us through this storm together.